Hi there, and thanks for joining me for the first episode of Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, the podcast dedicated to honest conversations with educators about what they do and, more importantly, who they are. I'm your host, John LeMay, and I'm here to highlight the complex and rich lives led by teachers with diverse interests, identities, and stories. I'm going to dive right into my first conversation, which I'm so incredibly excited to share with you. This week, I was fortunate enough to talk with Sam, who is an English teacher and director of diversity at an independent boarding school. I found Sam very enjoyable and fun to talk with, and I'm sure you'll see why very, very quickly. We talk about Sam's initial expectations of what it would be like to be a private school teacher and how that differed from reality. We talk about how her experiences as a student shaped her approach as a teacher, and we talk about how she uses her identity and experiences as a woman and a person of color to give her students permission to bring their own identities and experiences to the classroom when they explore issues of diversity and inclusion. I hope you enjoy the conversation. If you do, please rate and review the podcast. And if you have any feedback or guest suggestions, please feel free to email me at welcome to the teachers lounge at gmail.com. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Sam. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So what I want to do to have you start is uh, describe your first day of teaching. I want to go back to the very first day of school. Um, and I just want you to think about how much you can remember, the way that you felt on that day. Just really anything is, is totally fair game. Okay. That's a great question. I haven't thought about that in maybe seven years. Um, so my first day of teaching wasn't my first day of teaching in general, but it was my first day of teaching high school and first day of teaching at independent school. So I remember being very conscious of um, my age. I was maybe 23, 24, um, and I looked very young for my age. And that was my experience when I was teaching college, that I looked young and that was tricky to navigate. Did you get uh, mistaken for a student at all, or did you have anyone like make a joke about anything I like that? I did. And sometimes when I was teaching at Rutgers, I would have um, students that were significantly older than me um, or my age, and it was just very... I had students and an older male student aggressively hit on me when I was teaching in the college level so I um I was just mind I don't know I just remember being mindful of that um I remember being overdressed (laughs) I remember that I remember dressing basically like for an interview um do you remember what you were wearing yes I was wearing a pencil skirt from Banana Republic and a button-down pinstriped blouse and a pair of very cute um kind of cream colored pumps like not practical at all for teaching i mean i just remember being mindful i remember um somebody kind of commenting on both my and um, another first year teacher um who wasn't it wasn't her first year teaching but it was her first day at at, well, at our school um and and another uh more senior teacher commenting on the um impracticality of our clothes and so <laughs> i remember that <laughs> um and um but I also remember being really excited. I was honestly so desperate for a job. I was coming out of um, a graduate program that was not for me, ultimately. And so I left that program with my master's instead of my PhD um, and had taught for a year at the school um, just while I was trying to figure out what the next step of my life would be. And a friend had suggested I apply to independent schools. He thought I would make an interesting independent school teacher, I guess. And so... Um, I'd spent a year both working at the college level, but also applying for jobs. And I landed this job and I was just so 
glad to have a job teaching at a right. place I wanted to be teaching at. And I just really wanted to do to do well. I was nervous, but often my nervousness just translates into energy, which I think works out well for teaching. Um, so I remember being very energetic and like excited, but also nervous and overdressed. That makes sense. That's quite a, <laughs> it's quite a combination. Uh, how did you feel like at the end of like that first, we'll say like week? End of that first week. So it was also um, residential faculty. So I was also navigating all of this kind of bonding with the residential faculty, figuring out what it means to be a hall parent um, and really liking it. I'm an extrovert kind of just I, I think of myself as an extrovert um so i really enjoyed this kind of sense of community of all these people around everywhere um all these just new i don't know i was really excited just to have this new experience so i remember feeling probably both a little bit overwhelmed but also um energized if that makes sense to have both yeah. of those at no, the it totally same makes time sense. um yeah, just a mix of both of those things, because I am a product of public schools, or public high school at least, um, so the whole thing was so new to me. Um, I think we had moved on to campus maybe, I don't know, a couple of weeks before, um, but it was that first week is busy, just with lots of, you know, opening faculty meetings, and then jumping into your first week of teaching, and there's, you know, you're getting to know your students, and just what campus actually looks like with kids everywhere. Um, yeah. So I think a mix of just ready to start this new phase of my life. Um, I think it's also my, it was my first grown-up job. So that was just kind of exciting too. I went straight from undergrad to grad school. So it was also the first week of being like a real adult with a job, with a job, right, um, a full-time right. job. So I think that was part of all of that. When did you, uh, when did you realize that you first wanted to be a teacher or when did you first realize that you wanted to be a teacher, I should say? Um, so probably not until I was teaching as a graduate student. So I had gone to college majored in English, but had also thought maybe I could also be pre-med and be super fancy and do science and humanities. Um, was wow. very quickly um, <laughs> disillusioned of that um, and decided to focus entirely on English. Thought I would go into publishing. I got an internship um, at a magazine, kind of hated it, came back to school and went to my advisor, just kind of panicked about what to do with my life and my English degree from this science school. And um, he suggested I apply to graduate school and get a PhD and be a professor, which was totally crazy to me. Um, but I followed his advice and I did a summer program, et cetera, et cetera, got into a PhD program. It was in that program for three years. And like I said, I hated it, but I really liked teaching. Part of the program, um, starting in your second year, you teach um, the writing courses and also um, kind of assistant teach a major, you know, class with a, a full professor. So, you know, thinking of those big kind of general ed English classes, you know, like Poetry 101 or, you right. know, Intro to the Novel. Um, that would be taught, obviously, by the full professor, and then she, uh, he or she would have graduate teaching assistants, basically, to run um, the breakout groups or, you know, to help just run the class. So um, I really enjoy teaching a lot more than I expected to. I just found it to be invigorating and stimulating. And I, that's what I looked forward to way more than my actual graduate school classes. Um, and so when I was deciding to leave the program, um, but still wanted to have a career in the humanities, um, I was talking to one of my college friends about what the heck to do with my, with my life, basically. Um, he was a product of independent schools and was currently teaching at independent schools. And he suggested I look into that. And when I thought about it, that, that kind of made sense. I liked the freedom. 
um, of teaching at the college level, but knew I was not going to continue to pursue a PhD. Um, and so the more I thought about it and researched it, I thought that would make a good, um, a good, good choice for me. How did the people like in your life, like your family or your friends, respond to like you deciding to make like this career shift or not shift I guess because you weren't really in a career at that point but I don't know just coming to this realization that you wanted to go into education um I think they weren't really surprised about education in general but there was a lot of um surprise and maybe a little bit of judgment about independent school um so kind of assumptions that the kids would be horrible and bratty and rich and like I would be owned by their parents and um that I wouldn't be, that my grade, like my classes and my grades wouldn't be mine. They would be me, you know, pleasing these wealthy parents and just like all of these stereotypes just about um, independent schools. And as someone who had, you know, myself, I went to a, a public high school and my um, K through eighth grade had been in Catholic school. So um, a kind of parochial school is not, you know, like an NAIS kind of independent school. Um, I had nothing to really to compare it to, except that I, uh, didn't get the sense that, you know, the schools I were looking at or I was looking at were like that. But um, right. also that was the choice I was making. And um, but there was some kind of surprise of, of you're going to teach a bunch of rich kids. And yeah. Was there any part of you that also kind of worried about that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I'm pretty much over it now. But there were there were there was a while as I was pursuing independent school jobs and in, in my first couple of years of having guilt about um as a black educated woman teaching privileged, mostly white students when I should be using my education and my skills to benefit, you know, people of color and, you know, disadvantaged people. And, and, and here I am using my privilege to help privileged people. Like I had a lot of uh, my own personal kind of conflict about that just because it is, it's not on, on the surface, on its face. That's what it can seem like what, what you're doing. But I found a way to really think about the work that we do as independent school educators and in my position in general, or in my position especially, um, as a woman of color, as a woman of color who both teaches English and also um, does social justice work, that whether these kids are privileged or not, they need to be exposed to, you know, the simple, simple version is exposed to different perspectives and, and taught about the world outside of the bubble they might live in because if these are the kids that are going to run things for better or worse we want them educated not just um you know but the basic you know education but we want them to be empathetic good people and so right. that's why i justify the work in my brain um and also that kids of color and disadvantaged kids go to independent schools and they need people that look like them and that have their back um and so that's how i also make myself let myself sleep at night. <laughs> right. It's how you justify it to yourself. Yeah. yeah I, I think about that as well in terms of my own experiences in education um, and my own experiences uh, with privilege, um, both having it and not having it in certain aspects. And obviously, you know, I'm, I'm white and I'm male and I'm straight and I have like, you know, there's definitely a lot of privilege that comes with that. But, you know, going to like a public school and a pretty under-resourced public school, there is part of me that wondered especially when I first started like am I doing the right thing am I you know serving the communities that need it the most and I I think I kind of justify it in the same sense that you do of saying like well someone's going to be teaching these kids mm -hmm. um, and I know what I value and I think it's important and I think that what I bring into the classroom is important for anyone to learn and you can argue you know that because of 
these kids and their exposure um, or lack of exposure to certain types of people and their own experiences with privilege, it's probably really useful to have someone, you know, in the classroom who came from a different background in terms of the type of educational opportunities they were afforded. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of value in that. And I definitely, definitely connect with having to <laughs> help yourself sleep at night. <laughs> it's better the fact that you're, you're contributing to the system, yeah. whatever that means. Yeah. I mean, and I guess, I mean, I think if I can't think off the top of my head of who says it, but um, that idea of like using the master's tool to dismantle, you know, the master's house. Yeah. Oh, it's, I, you know, if I was more lucid, I would be able to you know, just give you that quote. Yeah, no, that's off great, though. My, off the top of my <laughs> head. And I'm probably misquoting it. I think she says you can't use the master's tools to dismantle the master's house. Um, but there's a part of me that wonders, you know, you know, because teaching about empathy and love and diversity and institutions that were made to be exclusive and to leave most of the world out, um, you know, it's not it's not natural for these places. These institutions were not built to do that. Yeah. Um, so part of it does feel a little bit transgressive, <laughs> which can be a way to think about it. Um, but also, I mean, just kind of to reiterate what you were saying, I think it's important for some of these kids or all of these kids, no matter you know who they are, to have, you know, people of color, women, unapologetic feminists, um, people who have no problem talking about their liberal beliefs and not, you know, capital L liberal, you know, democratic liberal, but just, you know, kind of liberal ideology of just the way the world can and should function right and how people, people ought to be treated yeah i think it's just important to have people like that in front of them in as many places and ways as possible um and so i think that's where the value that's where i see you know my my the value of my work and why i don't run away and join you know teach for america sure 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 um what were you like as a student as a high school student um I yeah yeah we can, we can talk about high school you can also i mean go as as far back as you feel is relevant sure so um i'm the oldest of four um and my parents had pretty high expectations for me neither of my parents went to college um but both deeply value education and i got the benefit of having a lot of their attention <laughs> at a young age <laughs> whereas my other siblings i think maybe didn't quite get all of that attention um so um, my potential was always, you know, my parents were always reminding me of like my potential and how intelligent I was and how important it was for me to get a good education and do my best and things like that. Um, and I mostly took it to heart, but I was also kind of a lazy student, to be honest. I was the kind of student that I'm sure frustrates most of us today, the kind of student <laughs> that I, and I'm not saying this to be braggy, but I, I could have gotten like straight A's. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't care enough to put in the effort. Like it, would, it would not have been easy for me to get straight A's. I would have had to put in more work, and I just did not want to. So I was totally happy with, like, my 3.4. Is that? Gotcha. <laughs> um, and um, so I guess I, I shouldn't say lazy because, I, you know, I, I You valued, still worked hard. Yeah, I still worked hard, and I, I valued um, – I, I loved reading from a young age. Loved it. Always have. Um, would spend hours reading, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um I remember I have a memory of being in fourth grade and going to my teacher very dramatically um, and saying, like, I have a problem. And she was like, what? what's, what's wrong, Samantha? Um, and um, I think I was like, I want to read Dickens and I want to read oh my God. this and that. And I want to read this and I nobody I don't know where to find these. things." I just was I just remember this very being very dramatic about how I needed to read more challenging things. And my teacher yeah. just being like, what? 
just go to the library. (laughs) (laughs) Right. This is not a problem. Um, Right. And just, but I think I also wanted her to know I was smart. I think there were two things happening there where I was like, I'm smarter than anybody knows and nobody's challenging me. So I remember that, and I, th- I do remember it being fourth grade because I remember that my teacher. So I've always loved reading and wanted to be challenged um, academically. And um, so in high school, I took um, you know the typical kind of honors AP courses and did totally fine in them. But I you know I, I had like a three point four, which is not bad. But you know today's competitive students, that's that's embarrassing. Um, right. God forbid. Yeah, exactly. And I was fine. I was I was you know totally fine with B pluses and and things like that. My mother. Not so much. My mother would get frustrated because she, I think she kind of knew that I was capable of more. Capable of more, and like sometimes I would put things off to the last minute, and um, I did not take my science classes as seriously as I should have. Um, partly because this is going to sound obnoxious, there were some of my teachers that I just didn't respect, and so like if I didn't respect my teacher, I didn't try hard in class. Um, and again, for me, try hard was mean, means like not get an A. Um, right, I think right, the lowest right. Grade I got in high school was. Chemistry was hard for me. I think I got like a B or a B minus in chemistry. In chemistry, chemistry was also, um, yeah, honors chemistry was, <laughs> was the bane of my existence. Yeah. I think I got like a, a B minus or something like that. I think I had like a C like on like my transcript at one point or yeah. on, like on, on like my quarter grade. And it like, obviously it killed me. It totally killed yep. me. Yep. And that, I think that's, I had the same experience in honors chemistry and then had a similar experience in physics my senior year. I took, I took honors or AP human anatomy and also took physics because, you know, I wanted my transcript to look rigorous, et cetera, et cetera. Of course. And I hated physics. I hated my physics teacher. He was like this, this is going to sound horrible, just this jock coach who just wanted to talk about football all class right, and just right. didn't I just didn't respect him or my class <laughs> did did, did like, football make like an appearance in like all of his word problems and stuff like that was he like yeah, one of those just, teachers yeah and he just wanted to like talk to the guys in the classroom I, I promise he did not think women could do science so like he just he I just so th- there was a part of me that um you know if I was more mature I would have you know gotten over my aversion to the teacher and would have just done my best to prove him wrong but mostly I was like this is lame and I don't I hate this guy so right like I'll just do what I the minimum I can to you know get a B in physics or whatever um but um but no I loved my English classes and I loved history um if if you if you liked the the teachers or respected them did you tend to have pretty good relationships with your teachers yes yeah um I remember having a really good relationship with my um my, my 11th grade English teacher, um, I think that was AP, might have been AP literature, might have just been honors, honors English at that point. Um, I remember really liking my AP U.S. history teacher my sophomore year. Um, I do remember, though, I was, I think, a little bit, you know, of a snobby jerk and thinking I was smarter than some of my <laughs> teachers. Sure. <laughs> and just being, like, a little bit snobby. I just remember my AP gov teacher my senior year. Um, I went to a, a kind of a big semi-rural public high school that was that was well funded um but had a mix of you know really new younger teachers who were doing all sorts of interesting new things in the classroom and were really great to have and then you had kind of really old school teachers that just were very um here's the textbook chapter read it and just very by the book and I had this teacher um and this is in the south and um, instead of Washington, she said Washington. Um, and I'm not from the South originally. So just me just being basically an ignorant, horrible teenager just thought I was better than her because she said Washington. Right, and, right, right. Um, and everybody in the class was kind of like that. We were all kind of assholes, to be honest, and uh, all thought we were smarter than this poor woman. Um, and 
I remember that. I just feel like I I was not maybe as nice as I should have been. Now that I think well, about and that, that <laughs> in some ways that kind of comes back to to bite you when you're a teacher because you're aware of like how awful kids can be, like especially when they're yes. together and like how certain they can be that they're you know smarter than a teacher and like even kids who on the surface seem really nice and really polite and really kind you kind of like get to a place where you're like i can't really trust anyone because i know what i was like in high school (laughs) i identify with that because i was also like very i was very polite i was very kind like i you know come from like a evangelical protestant family where like you learn very much like you respect adults and you respect your elders and I definitely adhere to that, like, for most of my adolescence. But I can remember, like, being in mostly honors classes with, like, the quote-unquote good students who, like, had, you know, supposedly had, you know, really great character and stuff like that. Hearing the stuff that they would say about the teachers, it was, like, it was horrifying to me back then because I was like, oh, you have to, like, respect your elders. But we just be absolutely terrible mm-hmm. to these teachers, some of whom were actually... Some of them were, were really great teachers, objectively speaking, and were perfectly intelligent. But, mm-hmm. you know, especially when it came to, like, grades or if, you know, God forbid any of these kids were ever told off for anything, uh, we just got really nasty. Mm-hmm. And I think about that, and I'm like, oh, my God, what are my kids saying about me? Especially now that they have, like, group <laughs> chats and stuff like that. Like, all our students have those for every single class. And I'm yeah. like, you, I mean, you just can't think about it at the end of the day, but it's, like, an extra, an extra factor. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think about, I don't think I was ever rude to my teachers even the ones that I didn't quite respect but I just remember I definitely had a friend somebody I'm still best friends with to this day um, and we were in a lot of classes together and we both not every not every we didn't think we're smarter than every teacher but there were a couple of teachers that we had that I think we would just laugh at not like to their face but you know after class or like you know on the weekends and I I think about (laughs) I do I don't really think about that too much though about when about you know what what do my students you know what do they think of me or what do they um like I want did you when you first started teaching um you know when I first started teaching I was honestly so mindful of making sure that um I probably overcompensated a little bit my first year because I wanted to make sure that um the students saw me as an authority figure and not their friend because I was especially I mean I was young I was just right out of college but I was young and I just I, I cannot emphasize, I'm not <laughs> saying this to be vain, I looked young. <laughs> yeah, um, I get that. There's and, a reason why I always have facial hair. Exactly. And I, I had I had parents mistake me for students on back to school night, which was mortifying, you can imagine. Like, yeah. um, like I, I had multiple times, I had, I had parent, you know, just, I can't remember um, the exact phrasing. Um, but she thought I was a student guide. And when I, um, you know, said something about being a teacher, she was like, you're a teacher you're a teacher how old are you just very clearly shocked. oh my god yeah te- and so I was very mindful of that and I did have a student I was teaching seniors uh, my first year and I did have a student that um was uh tried to be very flirtatious and um maybe oh developed boy. a little bit of a crush I was very mindful of squashing that <laughs> just <Yeah>. crushing <laughs> it just crushing it everywhere I could um so I think my first year I was mindful of making sure that they saw me as an adult and not their friend and that I wanted us to have a mutual, um, mutual respect for each other. Um, yeah. And I like when I like my students and I think things go better if they like me, but I don't need my students to like me. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. um, so I've never like, to be honest, like if, I, I don't want a student to dislike me because they think I'm unfair or I'm mean because I would never want to be rude or mean or unfair to a student or not serve him or her well. Um, but if a student doesn't like me, like, that's fine. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, I yeah. Really I care. I tell my kids all the time, like if I wanted to be adored, I would have become a birthday clown or something like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, we are literally in the vocation of having kids do things that they do not want to do. Yeah. I don't need friends. Like I've 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 had students say something something just about. I can't think of the exact language they use, but just so you know, I, I have multiple times been like, I, I have friends. I don't need you to be my friend. Like you need right. to do your work and you need to, and I feel strongly about, I don't, I don't think people should just, students should just respect me because I'm older than them. But I want, you yeah. know, I want them to, I want us to respect each other. I want us to respect each other as people who are learning from each other, who are um, engaged in education. I want us to have kind of a mutual, you know, kind of a partnership i always remind them that i am in charge and it's not a democracy <laughs> but i sure, want them right. to feel like partners with me in their education um and again i think that works better if we like each other on some level um and i think one of the nice things about independent schools and i've never taught at a public school but so i don't want to stereotype public schools but in my experience partly because the classes are small and also because the school um i teach at isn't big um i don't know most students they seem happy to to be here you know i think they want to like their teachers for the most part like they want to have a good day um i haven't had very many students in my time that like are resentful of being in class you know kids get tired they get grumpy because we they're human beings like i know i get tired and grumpy um but for the most part you know they're happy to be here and they're ready to take advantage of a good education and and i think that makes my job easy in certain ways yeah, I think about that all the time. Like, there are definitely some challenges that are just systemic to teaching at private schools or independent schools in the same way that there are to public school. But I think, <laughs> I just think of myself as very well, just very well suited to the challenges and also, like, the benefits that come with teaching at, at an independent school. Mm-hmm. So that actually, it it moves pretty well into my next question, uh, which is, how, how are we failing our students? And I... I asked that question both in terms of like how we as individual teachers fail our students or when we fail our students, but also just thinking about just more broadly, like how we and the, how the education system um, fails the students. But I'm very curious to hear what you have to say about that. Sure. That's a really good question. Um, Individually. I mean, I guess this might be individually and systemically. Um, I know I personally feel like I fail my students when I feel overstretched in other aspects of my job and so I feel like I'm not giving my students my most just the, the best of me as a teacher um yeah and um and there is a part of me that you know that does feel guilty about that just that you know I could be doing more reading you know I read I probably do too much and then I reread the book with my students almost every year even though I've read it now like seven times in a row or whatever because I, I feel like that makes me a better teacher but I could be doing more. I could be reading articles and on lots of educational blogs and yeah. rethinking every lesson plan. And, and and sometimes, you know, because I, as most independent school teachers do, you know, wear many hats, as we like to say, um, sometimes there's just not enough time in the day for me <laughs> to think deeply about yeah. new ways to teach symbolism in Gatsby. And so I just do what I've done the last five years. And right, right. Regardless of whether it works the last time or not. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's that's a really basic one of just, you know, my really giving my all to my students every day. Um, I also think a thing that I've been thinking about and talking about, and it's a buzzword and I hate buzzwords, but I'm going <laughs> to use it anyways. Um, Some of them work. Yeah. It's just, I mean, just the kind of idea of of, of, of resilience, I guess, is the, the way it's being phrased. Um, 
you know, we ask a lot of our students, but I also wonder if we in independent schools too, do we, do we give them, do we, do we, do we, do we coddle them a little bit? Like, are we preparing them for the realities of people not liking them, of people disagreeing with them like strongly and telling them they're wrong and they're, and that's the end of it, you know, or, um, do we, do we give them too much to do, you know, between, you know, we want them to be well-rounded and take lots of good classes and do lots of sports and be in clubs and lead this and lead that and learn this and play this instrument. Um, we ask them to do a lot and they event, they are always overstretched and, and, um, just doing too, not all of them, obviously, but you know, a lot of them are doing a lot. And then we don't really even talk to them about, about that. Like we just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being clear with you at all. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, no, it to- no, you're totally making sense. Like, I mean, it's in, in some ways you would think that the two would kind of contradict each other, right? Like mm-hmm. we're caught on one hand, we might be coddling them in some aspects and not preparing them for certain aspects of the real world and teaching them to be, to be resilient. But then in other aspects, we really are stretching them way too thin we're having them do things that might not really matter, that not every mm-hmm. child needs to do, and just not really focusing on the things or encouraging them to focus on the things that they should be focusing on and mm-hmm. doing those things with enough level of intention. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly the, the idea of intentionality. Like, so we ask them to do all these things and think about all these things and be these people. And we talk about character and all these things, but we don't. I don't know that we actually talk to them about what those words mean and why why we want them to do all these things and what yeah. the value is in anything. And I'm, I'm guilty of that, too. Sometimes, you know, a student might be like, why are we reading this? And depending on my mood, <laughs> I might, you know, go into some really, you know, nice detail and, and really explain the importance of this book and this author and this moment in time, et cetera, et cetera. Or sometimes I'll just say, because we're because we are. <laughs> you know? Right. And like, right. Um, and I just wonder how I just wonder about um, what sense of agency we're giving students, how much agency should we be giving students? Because um, I do, like I said before, I want them to feel like they're partners in their education, but they're also teenagers. You know, I teach sophomores. Sophomores are ridiculous human beings. Um, <laughs> and I like them. Yes, I like are. that they're ridiculous human beings. I like teaching sophomores. But, you know, half my, my students who are all, you know, who are good kids, if I said, so like, you get to read whatever you want. A lot of them are going to pick like a Dr. Seuss book or something, you know. I, right, I, right. There's a reason that we don't trust them with all of their choices and with education. Yeah. There's a reason that education is mandatory to a certain age. Um, and so I, I guess I don't, I'm not really answering your question because I guess I struggle with the balance of maybe this is the answer to the question. Do we let them understand a proper balance of all the things we, we offer them? So I feel like independent schools offer a ton and then kind of expect kids to take advantage of a ton of things and opportunities, which is great. But do we, do we actually ask them to think critically about what we offer and why we offer it? Um, yeah. And then I'd even say, even in my work as um, a diversity practitioner, I think that's, I wonder and all the ways that we're doing incredibly good work of providing a voice and a platform for marginalized groups and students that had previously been un- unheard and unseen um, and teaching kids about privilege and teaching kids about all the intersections of identity, you know, from everything from gender and race and sexuality and ability, just, you know, all of the things you can think of. Um, but, you know, how well do we actually ask them to think critically about their place in the world and, and what privilege truly, really means? And um, do we expect too much of them developmentally? You know, like, you know, there's teenagers have, are in a very unique 
developmental place in their minds. I mean, they're kind of supposed to be narcissists right now. Um, and so is it, how do we ask them to think about others and build empathy and understand their place in the world in relation to other people when their brains are not biologically programmed to be even doing that <laughs> at this age, right, you know? Right, so right. trying to find that balance of teaching them what I think are incredibly valuable um, ways of navigating the world and ways of thinking about themselves and, and other people, um, but doing it in a way that's developmentally appropriate and developmentally reasonable. Um, yeah, and, th- and that requires you to also cut yourself some slack in terms of, you know, thinking about whether or not you're doing a good enough job explaining these things or whether you're, you know, reaching every single kid or even the majority of, of your students. I know I think about that a lot, and I, I think I have a lot of work to do as an educator, both in terms of teaching, you know, the, the content and the skills, but also teaching empathy and tackling issues of, of identity and diversity um, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. But it is so easy to get so frustrated when you're like, oh, they're just not getting it. Like, we've had this conversation so many times. Then you have to remind yourself, Mm -hmm. like, you really have to, you know, manage your expectations. Mm -hmm. You need to expect a lot from them, especially, you know, they're for schools like, you know, like a lot of independent independent schools. There is a character component to them getting accepted and them staying in. And we do Mm -hmm. expect a lot, you know, from them as representatives of of the school. But you need to bear in mind that they're they're teenagers mm-hmm. and they're balancing a lot and they're working through a lot both mm-hmm. in terms of themselves and the world around them mm-hmm. but it's very easy to say to to do that too much you know to say oh they're teenagers yep. or you know boys will be boys or whatever yep. and i see plenty of that and i i hate that oh my gosh when i first started teaching there would just be so many times when i'd be so infuriated at like what my kids were doing or certain students and people would always be like oh well they're just kids and i'd be Mm -hmm. like no they're human (laughs) beings so they need to act like it yeah but it's it's hard to maintain that balance i found myself to be and i say this kind of often and i i swear i'm not lying i find myself to be really patient with students for the most part especially when it comes to the more difficult tricky things about like diversity and justice and equity and all I mean most most people barely know what those things mean especially these you know goofy teenagers um right. so I find myself being pretty patient with them which is good because I think that's important for um my position you know it's hard to to teach social justice and diversity and and, and be engaged with that all day and not be patient with students but I I I, I get very frustrated with adults and that's where I have to be more about like they're human beings and human beings right. are imperfect because um, for adults, I get very much like, this is so easy. This is so basic. Just right. Like, be right. a normal person. I get very <laughs> frustrated. Right. Yeah. So, well, and on one hand, you, you, you want to say this should be easier for you because you're adults. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's actually it really is that whole like old dog new yep. trick thing. Like for some of them, it's even harder because they feel that they see the world in the, you know, the right way. And they yep. can rely on the fact that they're adults and they have life experience. So yep. they've seen everything they need to see or they've heard everything they need to hear. Yep. Or watched every YouTube video <laughs> that they need to watch. Yep. And that's that's where I, that's what I've been really focusing on and working on in myself the last few years of just being more patient with adults with yeah. these things. And I'm still working on it. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about just the way that you tackle issues of diversity and social justice in the classroom. I mean, I've I've talked with you about this a fair amount and I find myself both I guess, encouraged and humbled by what you do in the classroom and the way that you handle these issues. But, you know, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, especially as you're, especially being a black woman in the classroom, um, 
and just the way that you kind of like will use aspects of your life to, to open up the opportunities for students to be honest and to share their stories? That's a good question. I mean, so I mean, I do think I have, there's a certain privilege I have, and I don't, I don't want to use that word too loosely. Um, there's but, an opportunity though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, and I, I think I've, n- I've never shied away from it. Um, I'm very much of the belief that ignoring race or ignoring some aspect of somebody's identity, is, it does a disservice to that person. It ignores parts of their humanity. So I've never been the person that's like, don't look at my race, don't look at my gender, you know. Um, right. Because that's, I am a black woman. I identify, identify very strongly as a black woman. So um, I found using that in the classroom is, has been really beneficial, especially, I mean, especially for white students. I think it's important for black students or any students of color just to see representation. Um, but I think for some kids, and maybe I'm making a too big of an assumption, but for some kids, I'm like, maybe the first black educator they've had. Um, yeah. Maybe the first person, the black person they've had like a real conversation with in a real true way, you know, like, um, like, of course, kids, you know, see and engage with and talk to people of color and from different backgrounds all the time. But I mean, like on a deep personal level, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. so I find using that um, and just being very open and honest about it. And I start all of my classes off um, with an activity where we go around and we talk about different aspects of our identity because I, I, I tell them when I, we talk about how important it is um, that we know who's in the room with us. We know where everybody's coming from. People are coming from different places. And so I give them this sheet and students share whichever parts they're comfortable sharing. They don't have to share all of it at all. Um, it's not, I don't force anybody to talk about an aspect of themselves that they aren't comfortable with. But um, I try to have us look at everything from you know, nationality, since we have an international population, um, to our religious upbringing, to um, our race, to our gender, sexuality, if we're comfortable sharing it, um, and talk about how that is going to affect the way we read a book, um, or experience a movie, or experience a word. Um, So I think, I think my approach is just about transparency. um, Right. That these things exist that you you cannot live in the world in america especially in like a identity politics free bubble like i i I take issue with some of the things that were you know coming out in the news the last couple years that you know identity politics ruins the democratic party and like identity politics politics they ruin everything and we just need to stop using them all the time but like that's just such it's everywhere. That's so crazy it's in to everything me. we do. Yes, like, and I think, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't want to, again, assume too much, but I assume most of those articles are coming from, like, straight, cisgendered white guys. Yeah. Like, I don't know, just are like, yeah. my identity doesn't inform everything, so why should, why should we talk about it when it does, but it does, and, like, not even, doesn't have to be even your visible racial or, or gendered identity, but just, like, where you grew up. Yeah. affects the way you are going to navigate things and so our think, experiences shape who we are yeah. that's just like a basic fact it's so simple and so i think i just really make that like the first day like the first two days of class we talk about that in all my classes no matter what um and then i think and i don't try to you know when kids will be like oh what are your politics like, i don't i don't say like oh i voted for this person but you know i make it pretty clear i'm like well here's you know here are the things i believe i believe in 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 basic human decency to all people (laughs) i think that we should be kind to each other regardless of um, arbitrary differences and being kind doesn't mean you have to love somebody or do exactly what they do but that we should respect people's humanity and right to exist in the world without 
like without being bothered for who they are in the way that you all know happens. <laughs> I just try to be very frank yeah. with them. And, um, and when we read books by black authors, I use any aspect of my own experience I can. Um, I, I, we taught Huck Finn for a year or two and I told them about my experience um, with Huck Finn in high school where whenever the teacher or whoever was reading had to say like the N word, um, I was the only black girl in the class or black student in the class and everybody would look at me and like, oh my um, God. and how like, I don't care about that now, at, you know, yeah. like look at me all you want. But that, you know, when we get uncomfortable and like we wanna, like let's, un- let's talk about what that, why that happens. And then I also say, you know, if there are any kids of color in the class, I say, you know, if you wanna look at somebody, look at me. Like you wanna look at a black person, you look at me, you leave right, your classmates right. alone. Um, and I, but I do find that it's easier for me to do that in a class um, where it's actually all white or students of color, but non-black students. Um, when I have black students in the class, I don't want to draw attention to their race by drawing attention to my race. So I try to navigate that a little bit differently because I don't want to, I want, I, I want to make sure it's clear that I'm not speaking for all black people, that I'm not speaking for the black kids in the class. Um, but I do find I, I am a little bit more free in certain ways um, when I have a class with no black students because I can just represent myself 100%. Um, whereas I do, I do, I'm very mindful of when I have black students in the class with me that I'm yeah. not making them uncomfortable by using my own race as an example, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're being mindful of like the implications of what it means to use your identity um, to either make a point or to explore like a particular topic, which is, yeah, I mean, that's very important because there are different stages and they're, mm-hmm. you know, how they feel about their identity and how they feel about their race and what their experiences are. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we move into the, the final stages here, um, I'd love to hear just about like a favorite could be anything like a favorite quote or a saying um, about teaching that you you know that is important to you or the best piece of advice that you've ever received about teaching um, or just something that you constantly remind yourself either something that you've reminded yourself throughout your teaching career or just recently that you've really had on your mind hmm. that's, a, that's a good one so I'm I'm horrible with quotes I don't have any quotes about teaching I don't think yeah I, I don't know why um, I said quote first no but some people have some people have that I don't I'm and I'm also horrible though because I don't I don't read a lot of like I don't know educator blogs or I don't use Twitter correctly <laughs> so um, <laughs> and also I mean this thing that I am kind of self-conscious of is I have zero formal education as an educator like I got an English degree I yeah. went to a master's program for English um, got kind of you know luckily thrown into independent schools and happened to thrive here but with like very little background or I just happen yeah. to be what I hope and again I hope I don't sound like vain um but like you know kind of a natural it was a natural fit for me um and it's worked out really yeah. well but I have I just so when I even think about teaching and things like that I I, I can get self-conscious about realizing I don't have any like formal training and I can't talk about like curriculum and stuff like that the way some people can and like would be like oh well what's this you know oh I can't even I can't even think of the words they use and I'm, I get I get I get intimidated. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I yeah, mean, yeah. that I, that I come back to. And then honestly, it's the thing that always like gets me emotional at the end of the year or when I'm feeling very um, passionate about something is that, and as, and I think I've become feel even more strongly now that I'm a parent myself is that, is that people entrust their children to us. 
I just think that's yeah. just like I think I'll make myself emotional right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, is that um, we're getting real on the podcast? Well, I'm also I'll just I'll cry over anything. Um, <laughs> but that I think that's what I come back to is when I'm having like my worst days, or I'm most frustrated, or I'm my most exhausted, and I feel like I'm doing 200 things and not getting paid enough, and nobody cares, and it's just not that you know people trust they trust us with their children. And I don't, I don't even know what else to say about that. <laughs> you know, is that like yeah. people give us their children from the ages of five to 18 and trust that we will help them become good people. And I don't want to make it sound like teachers are the only thing that stands between a person being good and being a serial killer. But, you know, like. Right, right. But like we spend so much time with, with, with these people, with people's children. Um, and as someone whose own child is in daycare, I put that same trust into my child's caregivers and I know we're educators, but I think of us, especially if you work at a boarding school, um, as caregivers, right, outside of being a teacher. And so thinking about all that stuff that can sound really corny, but about like teaching the whole person and the whole child and whole child development, you know, that stuff sounds like buzzwords that don't mean anything. But when I just think about that basic fact that, you know, people give us their children and hope we're going to do right by them. I mean, like, that's an, that's an incredible trust that people are, are placing in our hands um and i don't want to make it yeah. sound like like a burden or a horrible awesome responsibility um no but the, it, it it makes you realize the stakes and just how high they are yeah. in a lot of ways yeah and so i guess like on the you know on the days when i just am like ready to just not show up <laughs> or you just are tired and you're like can you just read silently please um right you know and again there's nothing wrong with doing that every once in a while sometimes we all we all need that break um but that you know at the end of the day it is worth it it is work that is it is it is work that is good and valuable and even if you know especially independent school teachers you know we're not paid a ton nobody gets into this job for money um and even if it can feel like you're kind of invisible and you're just going about your life like we are whether we know it or not like making a difference in some kids in some kids world and they might not even know it until they're in college or older than that um yeah and that sounds so cheesy and trite but um, I don't know. I think that's true, and that people give us their children to 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 help them become hopefully good people. And like, what's I don't know. What's better than that? Yeah, I 100% agree. It's a gift at the end of the day. Yeah. So just to to end things, um, I have a little challenge for you if you are feeling up for it. Okay. So what I want you to do is to kind of pitch yourself as a teacher or capture your essence as a teacher to the best of your ability in 30 seconds. Oh my gosh, so I'm like doing my teaching philosophy in 30 seconds? Yeah, it, it can be that. <laughs> it can be that. It can be like, you know, focusing on that or it could just be like what a class with, you know, what a class with Sam mm-hmm. is like. Uh, really kind of however, however you interpret it. Okay. But I have uh, 30 seconds on the clock and I'm going <laughs> to broadcast that to you. Okay. And uh, are, you, uh, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Get ready in three, two, one, go. I think a class with me on my best in my in my best vision of myself um, is is fun, but is challenging um, and not challenging because I make you read like Ulysses on the first day of class, but because um, I'm going to ask you to think deeply about not just, you know, what does the symbol Ten mean, seconds. but why are we people in the world and what does literature say about humanity <laughs> and and ask you to think about your place along other side, using literature to make you think deeply about the world. Great. Nice. That was horrible. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> no, no, you, you were. That was great. Great. You think 30 seconds is a long time, then you yeah, realize it's not at all. 20 seconds has gone by. Well, um, then you might be uh, dismayed to hear that I'm going to ask you to do that again. But this time, I would like you to do it in 10 seconds. Oh, my gosh. So the exact same thing, but in 10 seconds. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Three, two, one, go. Uh, challenging, invigorating, funny, real, sometimes silly, mostly joyful. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Finally, uh, I'd like you to do it one more time, but I'd like you to do it just using one single word. One word? Oh, my God. Okay. My teaching in one word. Yes. Okay, I don't have it yet. I don't know if it's going to come to me. Uh, my teaching in one word is... I don't know. That's a hard question. Or you as a teacher. You, you know, know I... do about your teaching. I... I I don't know. I try to be loving, but in in a very particular definition of that word. Yeah. So loving with an asterisk. Yes. Yeah. And uh, or loving loving with a footnote. Exactly. Not just soft and gentle, but you know, love and I think of like the way parents love their children, which it's not always easy or fun or um, exactly what the kid wants to hear, but it's love that tries to bring the best out of that child, even if the child doesn't want to hear it at the time. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me, Sam. Um, as I as I said earlier, I love talking with you about teaching, and I find the work you do to be uh, both encouraging and, and humbling in the best way possible. Oh. So I really appreciate your, you giving so much thought and sharing so much of yourself uh, with, uh, with me. No, thank you. That was all very kind, undeserving words, so... <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, but... No, they're very deserved, very deserved. No, this is great. It's fun to think about teaching every once in a while in a real way, so thank you. Yeah, of course. All right, thanks again, Sam. Really appreciate it. Thank you once again to Sam for being so generous with her time and for sharing so much of herself with us. This podcast was created and hosted by me, John LeMay. My thanks also go out to Emily Moeller, who is my associate producer and who played a pivotal role in making this podcast happen. Thank you also to Katie Cooper, who designed our cover art, and the folks in the band Really From, who let us use their song You Need a Visa as our theme music. And, of course, thank you for listening. Once again, if you like what you heard, please rate us and leave us a review, and please check us out on Facebook. And if you have any feedback, please email us at welcometotheteacherslounge at gmail.com. I hope you'll join me next week for another episode featuring another teacher and another story. 